Welcome back to On the Mic with Mike Peters. My guest this week is Ashley Pontius, a comedian who lives in Greencastle, Pennsylvania, and works all over the Washington, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia scenes. Ashley started her career with a bunch of lies in New York City and has become one of the best young comedians in the Mid-Atlantic region. I learned a lot about her, including to never, ever make her mad at me. I'm telling you, if a career in comedy doesn't work out, she can make a ton of money in the revenge business. She'll be starring in Dirty Work 2. Her life should be recorded for our entertainment. You're going to love Ashley Pontius. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Sign up for the Patreon. It's just five bucks a month. You can also follow Homebrewed Comedy on Facebook or go to homebrewedcomedy.com for all of my dates. Thanks again. I'll talk to you guys next week. Take care. Peeling back my sunburnt skin I'll wait outside your bedroom I, I hope they let me in Well, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate you taking the time. Of course. So, Ashley Pontius is a name that I've heard by pretty much everybody in Southern Pennsylvania, Lewisburg. So, <laughs> you must be pretty good. I would like to think so. That's so nice. I didn't know people were talking about me. Oh, and I love that. Like, I'm so poor that I have a $500 apartment and you can hear the motorcycles driving <laughs> by headed to I-81. Fantastic. No, it's very nice to hear. I mean, I, I like to think, you know, with over a decade in the game that at some point it's paying off. So, hey, look, if you're telling me that over 10 years in comedy has finally got Southern Pennsylvania talking about me. I must be doing okay. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that out. There are times where I'll get, uh, I run a lot of shows and I'll get bombarded mm-hmm. with messages from people from around that mm-hmm. area. And I'm like, man, I wish people wouldn't say my name. <laughs> I know that feeling. Actually, you know what? You are not wrong. I, I love, have you ever had like a bad, oh, that's maybe not the ni- not nice word to say, but if you ever had an interesting booker, maybe one who's not great at, booking shows we'll just pin and they'll be like oh i really want to get you on my shows and you're like oh that is that is so nice of you um i'm busy and (laughs) i may not have anything on the calendar that month but i'm just like i will lie my ass off to not do a show with them (laughs) like i'm jealous of you because i still haven't learned how to say no and that like i'll take a gig where i'll drive two hours away and the show will start an hour late and then they'll want to take <sighs> this, this isn't anything specific, but they'll want to take pictures after. But first, everybody's got to smoke pot. And I'm like, oh, I God. don't smoke pot. I want mm-hmm. to go home, but I can't go until you give me my ten dollars. <laughs> well, oh, my God. I feel that so hard, which, which I have to tell you, that's partly why the the no had to start happening was yeah. I was looking at my books. I'm now, you know, can write off all my taxes as a 1099 uh, independent contractor with comedy. But like, I was looking at my books at the end of the year last year and I'm going, man, you know, comedy has to be a love. It has to be a passion, but at some point it becomes an expensive hobby yep. to where I'm losing money on gas. And, you know, God bless. I had one booker who's an amazing person but I'm not fully sure about like their business practices. They're like, Hey, I'd like you to do a show because I love your comedy. I love you. It would be almost a two and a half or no thing was at most two hour drive. I can pay you $10. Yeah. And I said, I would be actually losing money to perform for you on this show. You'd actually be costing me money 
to do this? And the answer is no. Oh. And they were like, oh, okay. And I'm like, bruh, do you do the math? You know where I live. Yeah. If you can't even cover my gas tank, I can't be doing your shows. I And I'm also like, bruh, do better. And, I'm, uh, and I fully mean that for comedy. We have to start paying people better. If you're going to run shows, we got to pay people better or pay for the level of talent you're getting. <laughs> well, yeah. And like, I get a little pushback because my, I shouldn't say I get pushback. It's internal mm. because mm-hmm. I pay everybody. And I always tell people like my budgets aren't huge. and Which is fair. Predominantly, they're like $300 budgets or ticket deals. Mm-hmm. But like my right. base rate is a $300 budget. Mm-hmm. So I know that I might be able to pay the headline $75 or $100. Right. So what I'll do, and I probably am shooting myself in the foot a little bit, mm-hmm. is I won't ask people from three hours away to do the show. Right. And Understandable. Or if I'm like, well, he or she is too good for this amount of money. Not the room, not me, although sometimes right. both. But like, right. so I won't ask a lot of people and I know a lot of people will do it, but I don't feel right, right asking. So what happens is they'll internalize that and say, well, he doesn't like me. And why isn't he right. asking? It's, I'm, at, I'm basically protecting myself from feeling like an idiot. And well, I don't want to insult you. Well, I think that's 100% fair. I think I err on the policy now because you're absolutely right. That's a side of it. I don't think performers who never book I I don't think people realize the other side of it. My kind of policy is I love to be asked. I love to be asked because if I think if my budget is fine, there's always a chance I might make what feels like an exception because I really want to do a show. Or I've told bookers before, I will take a pay cut if we've never worked together, but it's a reasonable pay cut because if I'm good at what I do and we have a great crowd and you're happy with my work and whatever... I've at least kind of expanded my reach and I definitely am willing to do that. But I think people love to be asked. And as much as it feels bad, if I ever have to you know, say to someone like, oh, I can't, I can't take it, but to be thought of, I think people deeply appreciate, but I also think performers need to realize in a respectful way, they need to learn how to turn down a gig instead of internally being resentful or, or upset that like, oh, I can't believe I drove this far this little money, but they're not going to say anything. Yeah. My biggest thing is that one, I fear rejection. And then, Oh, same. I know my budget. So like if somebody mm-hmm. scoffs at what I'm offering, I'm like, okay, I probably won't ask you to do a show again because, and it's right. not because you scoffed really. It's not, mm-hmm. not because I'm mad at you, but I don't want to be hurt again. Oh, hundred so, percent. No, it's like, well, I, then, then that, what I'll do is, Oh, that person's three hours away. Well, now I won't ask more than two right. and a half hours away. So, right. And it's not it's not fair for me to put the blame on them, but it's like that's how my brain works. Yeah, and I understand that. I definitely think there are people who are so hungry for it, though, that I think people would be surprised. So I always tell people it never hurts to ask because you never know who will say yes. But I also think when bookers are upfront, which not enough people are about what they can afford, what they're able to pay, what the expectation is. I've had some bookers be very weird about like not being forthcoming about what pay is. And then you get there and then you're like, oh boy, I should have known way sooner. So I think a lot, a lot of this stuff too, is just the earlier you are into it as well. And as you build up experience and and relationships with people, I think it's just so easy for younger comedians or people who are just newer. I think it is so easy for people to get trapped in not beneficial like relationships with certain bookers. Case in point, 
you can totally tell me your opinion on this bringer shows don't do them it's awful i have done them and i have benefited from them as far as relationships where i've met other comedians in those situations i 100 did them but when i see other comedians running these shows i'm like lord help me yeah i, I don't i don't understand it so i did one and it was a bad experience mm-hmm. all the way around because it was a group where and it was back when i wasn't getting booked at all so mm-hmm. They beat me, you know, I, I wanted to get yeah. stage time and they found the mark. hundred percent. And I was like, all right, well, it's Greenwich Village Comedy Club in New York City. I'm like, oh, it's going to be great. End up being a 5 yep. p.m. show mm-hmm. on Memorial Day weekend, I believe, or something like that. Mm-hmm. It was a holiday weekend. So I'm like, all right. And the bus ticket was, I'm in Binghamton, New York. I'm three hours from New York City. So I took a yeah. bus down. To and from was about a hundred bucks. And then <sighs> you had to make sure four tickets are sold. I don't know yes. anybody in New York City. Oh my so God, I, I know. So I bought four tickets and a yeah. friend of mine actually went to the show, bought her own ticket. I'm like, all right. <laughs> so and then, and then you factor in a meal when you're there. I probably spent about $175, $200 mm. to get what they promised was 10 minutes. Then they kept adding people to the show. So I prepared 10. They're like, okay, well, it's going to end up being about six. And I'm like, all right. And then they lit me at 430 so I ended up doing like maybe four forty-five. Wow. Yeah. So like the whole thing, I'm like, fuck this. Like the only thing I got out of that was I told a story or a couple jokes that mm-hmm. I haven't told in a while. And and the one is good, but it's it's about race. Like it's whatever. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I told it and it was a fine joke. People liked it. But I walked in the green room. It was like a makeshift green room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Biggest black guy I ever seen stared at me <laughs> for an uncomfortable amount of time. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> so like, oh. it was fine. Like he didn't like it, but it was, yeah. the joke was like, uh, it was a three fifths joke and it made it look like I was the asshole. Oh. So I'm like, okay. So I played it safely, but I'm like, okay, right. fair enough. But it, that was it. And and so yeah, I, that was the only bringer show I did. And then what'll happen when, especially if you're in New York, people like those few people in the at Broadway comedy club and Yep. village and all the they look for if you're a comedian they'll see your name in a poster or what you have in your facebook profile and what they did with me was like hey do you want to come and do a show on a tuesday night and i'm like no yeah. I'm, I'm four hours away and they're like oh well you could do it any tuesday I go, no i host a mic oh well this is a show and all you need to do is bring six people i'm like no i, <laughs> I how about i just send you 60 dollars it and then blows my mind yeah, it blows my mind that I think the most offensive thing, because you brought up Broadway, and I totally do not care personally about talking shit about them. Sure. So Broadway, what bothers me most, too, about them specifically, because I know a DC person that I guess is back and forth and runs bringer shows up we there with them. probably know the same person. Probably. The show I did was from a DC person. I 100% have, if you want after we get off, yeah. we can totally confirm if that's what that is, yeah. but that would make sense. But what bothers me the most though, unless like there's something I'm unaware of, I think they still do that to people they know are nationally touring or at least have good credits to their name. If they're from my area, they will still try to make them do bringer. Wow. And I'm like, what is that? If you have any pool, if you're a good promoter at all, it is not necessarily on your artist to guarantee 
bodies like yes you hope they're funny enough they're bringing in people but like it's not their job to individually pick that audience that, that that's an insanity to me and then I've seen some people hang out with that person or that group and they're like oh yeah I'm getting booked in New York all the time and I'm like you're at the same club with the same group every time you're not doing anything different these are all still bringer shows yeah <laughs> and the bringer audiences are there to support their friends correct so like i do struggle with this all the time because i yeah. run an open mic here and mm -hmm. we have new comedians who will come in and they're fine comedians they really mm -hmm. are good the problem is they're not as good as they think they are correct because they have such good support early on i think yes they'll learn hopefully that oh this joke doesn't work all the time like it does correct. when i have 17 friends here and like, correct. I'm at, at one point. I'm super jealous that they have the support because right. God damn it. I wanted it and I never got it. <laughs> <laughs> but like, like, I'm like, no, I'm, you're, you're right. And I want you to be so much better, but you got to realize that what you wrote now, you're going to think is shitty in eight months. Yes. Because if you get to be a better writer, you'll shed the early material or you'll at least rework it to right. something that's better because you yes. just are a better comedian and a writer at that point. Yeah, I, I judged a bringer show because they, they at least brought in people who had nothing to do with the club to judge, which I was like, okay, like at least, you know, it's whatever. It's a little less biased. And one thing I've tried to explain to people anytime I've judged and been brought in for those at, a, at least a little legitimate comedy club, which I have told people, though I have done this particular bringer show, it was good for my career in the sense of I ended up meeting people who had become lifelong friends who were yeah. either in the same boat or legitimate other bookers as well so it was a legit club that i ended up getting booked at regularly but other bookers happened to be there and that's kind of how one of those shows really should work is that it ended up benefiting me long term but anyway i came in to judge those and i always would tell people afterwards if they were butthurt that they didn't win or whatever i said look one of the things i look for is if you brought a large audience that's great but i also look for the comedians who made your large audience laugh that's because they because i was like you they are there to support you but if that comedian made your people legitimately laugh and they weren't holding back just to make you feel better mm -hmm. that person had because last time i had judged there was a guy who almost couldn't perform because he didn't bring enough people he had yeah. maybe two people and we all were like oh, you know what it's covid <laughs> you know like let him it's fine and someone ended up not being able to perform. They said, hey, look, two people showed up for me anyways. Add them to your roster. It's fine. So he had maybe four people. And remember, two of them were not even really there for him. Then there was another guy who brought like 17 people because they're like, oh, my God, we're so, so proud of you. The guy with two, though, made that whole room laugh. And he won that month because I said that is someone who was on par that night. And I always tell people that, too. You could be an amazing comedian. You can still have a bad night yep. and it sucks. You can be a world-class. One of my favorites is like, I'm a huge Tom Segura fan. Yeah. And one of my favorites is I want to say it was like, I want to say it was like his second special or like his first. It was one, one of those, one of one of those specials. He had just taped the special and a week later he bombed and he said in front of an entire huge theater, like he ate an ass like <laughs> it was bad and it just made me feel better that yes as you get to be really good it's so rare that that would happen but the idea that it's like hey look 
you are going to have an off night and it doesn't mean you're necessarily lesser of a comedian. Yeah. Well, there's a famous story with Richard Pryor where Mm -hmm. he was doing two sets. I think it was the live at sunset strip where the Friday show was awful. And granted, there was probably something to do with, you know, what he Mm -hmm. ingested at that point, but like it was just (laughs) awful. And then he taped the special in one shot on Saturday Mm -hmm. and murdered. Yeah. So I think too, like with that person who brought two people kind of four because he did so well, those 17 people might see his name in a flyer and say, Hey, let's go see him. We liked him a lot. And we only saw seven minutes. So I think correct in time, he's going to bring the audience. He just didn't do it that night. Yes. Well, I always tell people too, it's important to be, and I'm not always perfect at this. Don't get me wrong, but I, I also try to remind people how important it is to be grateful afterwards. If you can stick around to the audience that showed up, if anybody wants to meet you one, it's just a great feeling, but two, it's really important to kind of almost get FaceTime with these people, because if you were really good, they want to follow you on your socials. They'd be happy to come to your shows again. And there's a chance they would tell other people about you. So it does kind of become this huge networking thing that, can be a little time consuming. It can get exhausting, but I'm like, it really does pay off in the long run. When did you start doing comedy? So I was, I always say my official start in it. I would have been about 16. Okay. Uh, so I had quit high school. And you were that good I, at it? No, <laughs> no, no. I had lost my fucking mind. We did not realize at the time that I was in the early stages of bipolar. Oh, fun. Um, yeah. So I was super unwell quit high school my parents were like okay like we don't know what this is don't know what to do about her behavior so I took off for New York every weekend I would take the Amtrak and I 100% won't lie to people I had fairly well-off parents Mm -hmm. and therefore it was like we don't know what to do with her behavioral issues as long as she's staying out of trouble we'll help sort of support that so I would go off to New York and that's where I met Mike Kaplan oh yeah um Yes. So Mike was so important to who I had ended up becoming. Now we have incredibly different styles of humor, but he taught me so much of what I know now, which is just how to carry yourself in the club, you know, just behavioral expectations, what it means to be like a good hang, just, excuse me, also just like a safe adult since like, it's weird to look back now and be like, oh my God, I was a 16 year old girl running around like by her what a bad idea overall <laughs> um your parents but, would have been arrested now right like well i mean like legally i think at like 16 or 17 you're allowed to be like if you're, you leave school you're allowed to it's just not at least in pennsylvania it's not, you know it may yeah. not be looked well upon but nobody cares so there was that but then i was also not really performing a lot at that point because i was still really young because that was the reason i was with mike is I was like legally age-wise though, not allowed in some of these clubs. In fact, that's how I met Mike. I had lied to get into a club about my age. And then I realized how fucked I was going to be when they wanted IDs and things. So I lied and said that I knew Mike to get into this club. And I met him and I was like, they're about to come up to you and ask you about me. And I lied. Wait, so you didn't know him at all? No. So that is how we met. How'd you, so how'd you find him? How'd you know he was going to be at the club? Well, I had seen it online and I'd wanted okay. to go to the show. All right, and okay. yeah, and I, but I totally, like an idiot, lied to this venue. And I got in and I was like, oh, but they're going to confirm it with him. And I'm about to be fucked. So I straight up told him, I was like, I lied to get in. I want to see the show. And he's like, I'll cover for you. That's awesome. <laughs> and that's 
that's how we met, which is like the coolest thing. I don't really recommend um, <laughs> to young people, but like, I, I can't thank him enough for everything he did. So, so there was that. So then, because I was like, I'm going to also chalk it up to like <laughs> intense mental illness of taking huge risks. So then I also was working back in DC for a little while. I got to work on the campaign for truthiness that John Stewart did with uh, Stephen Colbert. Sorry. Right. That was his thing. And I got to do some of the marketing and stuff for that at 16 and that was really cool. And then they're like, oh, we really like you. We'd like to take you on longer. And then they found out what I actually was. And they're like, mm -mm. <laughs> they're like, we can't. I'm like, that's fair. <laughs> they're like, if you quietly, like, we just will keep it quiet. But like, you gotta, you gotta go. <laughs> well, that's fair. That's fair. But like, I was writing jokes. I, again, looking back, hindsight 2020, there were some guys who I'm trying to remember how they had exactly met me. Well, because I, I was a friend of Kyle Cease back when he was doing stand up. I fucking and love Kyle Cease. I love Kyle Cease. I quote so, the pie joke. Uh, oh, so you know, we have three funny. pies. Like <laughs> I wish I wish he was still as active, but he's just like he just motivational speaking now. My understanding is for the most part, yeah. That's okay. that seems to just kind of be I haven't I haven't to my knowledge, I haven't heard or seen any stand up in quite some time. Oh, I haven't either. It's just uh, uh, ever since one dimple, I think. It's the last one. I yeah. Started. Yeah. Is that the one with the, the, some, the he throws shoes or something? Yeah. Well, he was also doing stuff, honestly, out this way a little bit at one point with um these guys. They were called, I think, Hack and Slash. They would do like this uh, Renaissance, like amazing comedy slash Renaissance style yeah. Christmas show and fair. And he would do stuff with them, which was cool. But yeah, I, I, I haven't talked to him or his brother in quite quite a while, you know, in life life takes you know if that's what makes him happy different yeah. paths so i and trust me i understand when people are like i want to leave comedy i'm like go be happy you get it uh, <laughs> i understand i just hope it. he got that he got that slow clap he really wanted uh, <laughs> from none of the team movie hey he's got a kid now he's he's living his best life i think <laughs> i am sad single and in an apartment that costs five hundred dollars <laughs> so who really won um but so and now that I realize it, I think it was when I was with Kyle and learning from him and doing a lot of work with him that there were kind of guys that were also being maybe mentored by Kyle or doing some of his, his comedy classes and stuff. And these guys would have me write some of their jokes for them. Oh, okay. And sometimes I was getting paid. Sometimes I was not. And it didn't like set in until like I was probably 18 that I realized, oh, why am I writing jokes for these men that are older than me? Why don't I just do my own material? So it was then that I realized later that I was like, oh my gosh, I want to do it for myself. So I did it like on and off for a long time. And then when I was 23, I moved to Australia for a little while. And that's when I really missed it. I'd started doing it in Australia. So I came back and I was like, I want to go full in 100%. Like, I'm tired of just dabbling in it and doing it here or there. I want to be legit. So I've been I've been back now. I'm originally a Marylander. So I pretty much do all over the DMV. So I'm always in D.C., Baltimore, you know, Pennsylvania. I do stuff, Delaware. So I, I get to do, like, further out shows. Like, occasionally I'll do Ohio and Kentucky and stuff like that. But, like, anything really major, I haven't I haven't really hit it yet. You know, I haven't really hit my stride, but I'm hoping to, you know, someday make it big and buy a thousand dollar apartment. <laughs> Do you have a home base, like a, a home scene? So I, it's so weird. I feel like I don't. 
yeah. which is kind of odd. I feel like I'm very nomadic, which can be both kind of cool and kind of sad because I, I do see people all feel like they have their own group or their own space. I would say I kind of don't have one. You know, Baltimore, I'm there probably twice a week. That's about an hour and a half away. I'm in DC another twice like a week. That's also an hour and a half away. Harrisburg is an hour. So I get to know all these people. I know them all quite well. But yeah, I don't think I ever really feel like I've got my own my own posse per se. Maybe so. you'd uh spend less money on gas if you move to Baltimore. <laughs> well, so that's super funny. So I've, I have this conversation fairly often. There actually is no difference, which is why I stay where I live. I save so much money on rent and general that's quality true. of life living expenses. Baltimore, because the truth is there have been times when I have stayed in Baltimore, D.C. for shows. Traffic is so bad oh, yeah. that well, sometimes I- it is like the same amount of time I would have spent traveling anyways. So I lived in, are you living in Maryland right now? No, I'm, I'm in Greencastle, PA. So I'm okay, on the okay. edge of Maryland. Okay. So <laughs> I worked in Annapolis for like six years. Okay. Uh, worked in Baltimore for a year and I lived in mm-hmm. Essex and then Glen yeah. Burnie. So, okay. like, so Glen Burnie, it would take me pretty much to go to work to Annapolis was like 20 minutes. That's not a big deal, but it's right. like, I covered high school sports. So I was driving all over the place and like yeah. Frederick was an hour. Uh, oh, I love Frederick. Yep. So do I. And, and I, it's beautiful, but like it is pretty much anywhere. And I think Glen Burnie was pretty centrally located, but yeah, I couldn't make it to pretty much anywhere out of the county in less than 40 minutes. Like oh, to, no. To go to Baltimore or Harford County was, mm-hmm. I mean, I have to go to Harford County quite a bit. I'm like, all right, well, oh, I, yeah. I plan on 45 minutes to an hour to go. And yeah, it was always like, you know, game started at four or six. So I'd always yes. be driving during rush hour. And driving yep. home was fine, but then you got to pay tolls each way. Yes. And, oh my God. And I, my rent was, I lived in a, a low, uh, low income housing when I first moved there. Cause I was, you know, working in a newspaper and they don't pay yeah. a lot. So no. I think my first rent in Baltimore, Essex was mm-hmm. seven twenty seven, mm-hmm. And then I moved, I got stabbed a month into living there and I had a year lease. <laughs> so I was like, well, here for a little while. So as soon as I got I got another job in Annapolis. So I'm like, all right, well, I'll go there. And as soon as I can move, I moved. And rent was like, I think, $9.95. And then it raised every year. So I'm like, oh, 100%. well, you know, it's this or I can go back and get stabbed. So like maybe <laughs> maybe the, the the criminals were actually working for the renters. I'm like, okay, damn, double people into the better places. But yeah, I mean, it's but you're right. Like it's between gas and tolls and everything. If you're paying yeah. $500, i have never heard of anybody living in Maryland for less than like $700. Oh yeah. Well, so part of the deal with mine is Greencastle is a cheaper area to live in. Just period. It is. But I know my landlord personally, Yeah, they bought this building. It's a three unit multi-unit and they're like, Hey, look, it's kind of shitty, but I haven't fixed it up yet. And obviously this isn't like a forever long term, unfortunately, because at some point they will renovate this building, but they're like, Hey, this until I like get used to like, they have multiple properties all over the place, including Florida. So you're like, well, if you don't mind that it's just not ideal, you know, which honestly, I've really made it very homey. I quite enjoy my apartment. I'm perfectly content here. Um, so I know at some point that ride will come to an end. But yeah, I'm like, you know what? As much as some of it sucks, I'm like, 500 bucks, I will shut the fuck up. Like the door doesn't work in the bathroom. Fine. The toilet clogs, you got it. There's bees in here. I can deal with it. <laughs> like, 
better than getting stabbed. <laughs> Listen, I've had in my Glen Burnie place, I had a pigeon walked. This is <laughs> shitty. Uh, I, so I was a I was a sports writer, and okay, I was pretty good at it, and I had awards. But I'm a okay. procrastinator, so I was like, oh, I'll mm-hmm. I'll put them, you know, I'll frame them later. Yeah. It was like 930. I, I had this nice apartment and it was on, I had a balcony. It was on the third floor. Mm-hmm. And then I, I like to keep the sliding glass door open. And mm-hmm. I had to open like the size of a softball. And then a pigeon walked into my apartment. Oh my God. Hanging out. And I called my grandma because whenever something goes <laughs> weird in my life, she likes the, the entertainment. She's yeah. Like, she has the drama. See. Right. When I got stabbed, she's like, oh, give me the story. And <laughs> this, this pigeon he shit everywhere in my apartment oh. everywhere and oh. i'm assessing damage and he shit right all over my writing award and i'm oh. like you know if this wasn't a sign that journalism isn't gonna pay off i don't know what is i'm full with you i'm all about signs i 100 agree with you but I had, my cat I, I had two bats in the apartment too i was like you know what i'm i'm out I had that at my last place and that is exactly why I moved out hundred percent. I'm with you. It was too gross. They kept getting in somewhere. I was like, nah, I'm good. But no, I, uh, I'm all about signs. I agree with you because when I went to get up this morning, I've been sick with norovirus and I was like, well, maybe I'll go outside and take in the nice cool, like morning air. Cause I've had a fever, get up, don't have my contacts in. And I look at my sneakers and I go that there's something on my sneakers. And I put on my glasses and I'm like, ah, that's cool. My cat threw up all over my sneaker. Oh. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I get it. The universe is like, fuck you, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> this has been one of those one of those weekends, man. <laughs> this happened. Uh, Mike, I've got the three cats and they're really mm-hmm. good hunters. And yeah. when it gets cold, the mice get in the house. And oh, yeah, I wouldn't probably ever notice them if the cats weren't getting them. <laughs> and yes. I think they've killed that I've seen four or five, mm-hmm. or I saved one, possibly mm-hmm. two. They got to one and I, I think I got there too late and I put it outside. Oh no. Either it ran off or something else got it. Yeah. But the first one I ever saw, <laughs> the cats love each other. They don't often hang out all three of them. So mm-hmm. like, they were all hanging out at the top of my stairwell. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. That never happens. I took a picture mm-hmm. of it. And I sent it to my friends and, you know, oh, look at this. I posted on Facebook. And so I'm like walking around my apartment. I'm trying to get my steps in, you know, I just, mm-hmm. so I, I walked laps around my apartment and my mm-hmm. friend, she said, Hey, is that a dead mouse in that picture? I'm like, no, <laughs> <laughs> I zoom in and, son of a bitch. There was a dead mouse. And I probably, I don't know if I walked on it. I, I was walking around bare feet. I'm like, I don't think I stepped on it. Who knows? It was still oh my God. And I walk out. Sure enough. That's why they were there. That's why they were there. It was like, it's ritual. They're like, okay, we killed it. Now what do we do with it? And I'm like, so I had a dead mouse probably in my house for 12 hours. Uh, I love cats. I love cats, but I cannot deny they are kind of disgusting. Yeah. I, I don't know what it is. Cause if it's not that, cause I totally understand that behavior. See, mine never get to go outside or like, and again, I don't, uh, because of the way my apartment is, I, I won't in my lifetime probably have issues with mice, but if it's not the poop, just like with the sneakers, it's the vomit though. Oh yeah. Because I love when I'm on an important say podcast or phone yeah. call and you just hear in the background oh, and I'm like, I am so, I'm like, I'm so sorry. Uh, and I sometimes I've warned people in business calls, be like, hey, look, 
that noise in the background is my cat. I can't speed it up. Like, I can't make this go faster. This is just going to (laughs) happen. I don't think I ever move quite as fast as when I know my cat or my girlfriend's dog is about to throw up. No, 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 no. And right now you wake up. Yeah. It's like, oh, no, I I dead sleep. Nope, nope, nope. Can't happen now. And ah, it's because, you know, it's nowhere good. That's the problem. You know, it's nowhere functional that you're like, oh, that's that one day my cat threw up in my shower and I wasn't even mad because I'm like, you know what? Out of all the places you could do this, that's totally cool. We'll make it. It's fine. It was a hairball. It's great. But I love when it's the worst possible place. I also love when I like. I get over anxious to deal with it and they haven't done it yet, but I hear them and I start to like chase them and they just keep going to new places that are equally bad. And they're like, Oh, I'll jump from the sofa onto your bed. I'm like, Nope, don't do that. And then I just, Oh my God, I keep thinking I want kids. And they're like, "Mm, no, I'm good. I walked, I walked into my office one night and girlfriend's in bed. And uh, I was like, Oh no. She's like, what? I go, Mac threw up on the windowsill. So like, and it was fine. I mean, it wasn't a huge, I mean, it was a lot of puke, but like cat puke is in the right spot. It's easy to clean up. But, yes. As but long had, as it's fresh. But I had, I had <laughs> cat vomit running down the wall and I'm like, oh. I got to take a, a, a photo off and scrub. Vom- I never thought I'd have to scrub my wall because there's vomit on it. Like, like I don't drink oh. that much. Who no. thinks someone's going to throw up on the wall? The projectile ability of cats when it's that bad, I know exactly what you mean. It's as if they were a Nerf gun of puke and they just shoot it across the room. And I'm like, man, you have better aim than most men that take me on dates. This is this is wild. Like, how is it that guys will shoot me in the face with their cum, but like my cat has amazing accuracy? I don't don't quite know how that works, but okay. Listen, on behalf of all guys, it doesn't accidentally happen. <laughs> no, yeah, but that's what bothers me. Is like, hey, hey, you human man, there's one place I don't want you doing right. this. Don't do it. And they're like, oh, do it. And I'm like, no, don't do it. And then I'm wiping it out of my my freshly box dyed hair. And I'm like, thanks, Tyler. That was super helpful. <laughs> Thanks for listening to my my needs. <laughs> and I thought I thought we were going to wholesome directions. I'm so sorry. <laughs> that's no. okay. That's good. That's kind of how I can't help goes. it. If it's 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 look, it's gotta be butts. My my topics are butt stuff, bodily functions, and and just bad comedy. Those, those <laughs> listen. I'm very good at one of those. Hey, okay. <laughs> you know you what? I I cannot. You know what's so embarrassing? I'll tell you this. I know what what I am as a person and what I am as a garbage human being. <laughs> and every time I try to convince myself, I'm not someone will remind me of exactly who I am. Cause I was at a show uh, like three weeks ago and I feel terrible. Cause this guy shakes my hand. I go, oh, it's nice to meet you. And he goes, Oh, we've met before. And I go, have oh. we? I'm so sorry. Well, and I feel terrible. I'm like, I, where did we meet? I, cause I, I truly didn't remember him and I felt terrible. And he goes, Oh no, we met. He's like the minute we met, you told me you shoved someone's stuff up your ass for revenge. <laughs> and I go, Oh my God, that was me. <laughs> I was like, that was me. I, I feel terrible. I don't remember you, but you're hundred percent right. You've met me. That's, <laughs> that's a story that I, I sometimes get drunk or not even drunk. I just tell people be like, Hey, there is this time I got angry at a guy and shoved all of his belongings in my asshole and put them back. So- <laughs> 
I just want to let you, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but you're not the only person who's done this. Oh, thank God. I, I, <laughs> when I lived in Lockheed in Pennsylvania, a long time ago, I made out with this woman one time. Nobody knew her last name. It was, so she just went by okay. Brinkley, Brinkley. <laughs> and <laughs> okay. so like her friend was one of my neighbors and mm-hmm. I had a th- like three neighbors on each side of my house. And one of those neighbors was screwing around with one of the other neighbors Mm-hmm. And it didn't work out. So yeah. Brinkley and this one neighbor went over to their the other place and they just started shoving toothbrushes up their ass. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, man, this, <laughs> this woman wouldn't let me do more than make out with her. And she's shoving a toothbrush up her butt. I'm like, all right. But, I thought I thought she was prude. Apparently not. No, bruh. A woman, I cannot express to people just you could be the sweetest girl in the world. I like to think I'm very sweet. Guys find me adorable when I have makeup on and I'm kind and I'm really considerate. But if you do me dirty, the things I have done to men to get even is ungodly. And this, by the way, and this one, I'll be quick. This wasn't even me. My poor sister was going through an unexpected divorce. Her husband of 10 years cheated on her and left her and her children. Oh. And that was bad enough. But then she calls me one day in tears because he drained their bank accounts so that she could not feed their children. Oh, sounds like a great guy. Correct. And, and by the way, I mean, at the time, and this is why I think also set me over the edge. My whole life thought he was. Had no idea that this was this other side of this person. So my sister's in tears. I've got nephews to think about. I lose my shit. So I show up, get a wine bottle deep. I have had a full bottle by myself. And I go, hey. Why is his car here? And she goes, oh, well, he has the work car. This is his house. He left this car here. And I go, then you have the keys, right? She goes, I do. <laughs> so I pop the trunk to his car, get a bunch of stuff out. So it's now empty. I then pissed all in the back of his, his car in the trunk. And by the way, it was a hot August day. So I pee all in the car, shut it. Took a bunch of his CDs out, scratched the shit out of all of his CDs with my oh. car keys. I know, Merle, bitch. So then I put them back. One of the things I took out of the trunk, and this is where like it started. He had protein powder. You know the little spoons that come in protein yeah. powder? I shoved it up my asshole. And my sister just staring at me. And I was like, it's in there. And then I <laughs> pulled it out. <laughs> throw it back in. Pour half a thing of salt in there. Just make it real salty. And just shake it up. I'm like, it's going to be a real nutty flavor. Uh, it's going to be real dehydrated at the gym. So I did that. But then I'm like on a roll. I was like, that was pretty funny. What else you got? So then I go up to his bedroom where he still hadn't collected all of his things yet. Started finding anything that was his, shoving it up there, pulling it back out. Unfortunately, I shoved his Flyers signed hockey puck up there because I was too drunk to realize what a bad idea that was. Wait, wait, like a regulation size puck? Yeah, it didn't fit. If that's what you're wondering, it yeah, did not okay. fit. All right, just correct. Checking. Just check it. Horrible, horrible. I was too drunk to realize what a bad thought that was, and I'm like realizing it can't go further. And then I'm like, oh, this hurts. <laughs> and then my sister comes in the room. She goes, "What's wrong?" And I bend over, and you just see the puck st- <laughs> sticking out of me. And I'm like, "Pickaboo, <laughs> it's not, it's not fitting. I need you to get it out." And she's like, I'm not sticking my hand in your asshole. And I'm like, I might have to go to the hospital. She's like, you will not. You're going to get it back out. <laughs> I finally got it back out. 
took, got it out. Oh, so gross. Very painful. And then the last thing I did is he, he had cheated on her by going to the gym. He'd started going back to the gym to think he's hot shit. And of course starts meeting women there. So he had all these expensive, like under armor, Nike, like running shorts. And I looked at my sister and I was like, you know, I think he's getting kind of fat. I should make him some room. And I ripped the seams out of all of his shorts. And then I passed out. But <laughs> wait, wait, this was all in like one day, like an afternoon, one night, oh on one night from like 7 p.m. to probably like midnight. I just went ham on his shit. At any point, did your sister, was she like, hey, please don't? No. <laughs> no. And, and the thing was, had she told me to stop or whatever, I would have. But I think for her, not only was it fun to watch, but I think there was a liberation and like she felt that she couldn't do it or for her to do it would cross a line. But I took the responsibility away from her. And then I did unfortunately run into him like months later and he was a huge tool. He tried to hug me and I go, okay. So I le- let him do it. And I lean in and I go, your whole apartment smells like me. And he's like, what? <laughs> oh my God. And he has no idea, but I was just like, God, I hope you got, he didn't, but I wanted him to get pink eye. I really hoped that like all the, oh yeah. And I peed on all his work shirts. Forget about that too. I took all his work shirts and I laid them in the bathroom and just peed all over them like a psycho. <laughs> he had to have known. Like, how do you He not? didn't say shit to her or me. Because here's my thing. I would bet you if he had any suspicion or figured it out. Well, here's the thing is young kids. So it's always a possibility of like, do my kids do something gross? I don't know. But I also fully believe, though, that if he picked up on it at any point, he really wasn't in a position to get mad. That's true. (laughs) Because I feel like, what are you going to do? Be like, oh, I can't believe you fucked with my stuff after I ruined our marriage and took all your money. (laughs) Yeah. I see that. That's the best part of being a fucking psycho. You can ask anyone <laughs> in the comedy community because I've dated a lot of our peers. <laughs> like when you're when you're really sweet, I have nothing but nice things to say. One of our peers in the PA area, it's one of my best jokes, but he ate my ass one time and it was incredible. And I tell people all the time and I tell him, I'm like, you're still one of my favorite hookups. He's like, oh my God, thank you. But if you fuck me over again, like, I don't know, I might put your face on a milk carton like I did in this Franklin County area and was like, have you seen this boy? <laughs> it was expensive, but it was worth it. Fuck you. <laughs> oh so my like, God. I just, I'm a problem. I admit it. If you hear people who are like, Ashley is not that nice. Be like, let me guess. Did you sleep with her? And it went bad. And they're like, yeah, how'd you know? Be like, I've talked to Ashley. I've done the math. <laughs> you know, my last girlfriend, we didn't end in great terms. Like, like she, <laughs> yeah, I, I fully admit that I am probably not the best boyfriend. Sure. I didn't cheat on her or whatever. She cheated well, on good. me a lot and whatever. Yeah. She left and, and she was dealing with stuff. But like, I thought the biggest problem I had with her was she posted memes with vague references to me I love and made up stories to my friends. Oh. Not even close. I mean, that seems like amateur oh, yeah. work. Uh, I'm completely unhinged. <laughs> Like, and it's not even just that we don't even have to get deeper into this. Cause I think it takes it to almost like a sad place, but unfortunately we, it is a hundred percent true. We do have predatory behavior in comedy, unfortunately, which it's not just the stuff we see on the news. It's not right. just stuff we read online. It is unfortunately a hundred percent happening to a lot of your female peers, whether people want to believe it or see it or not. And one of my tactics recently is 
I don't know if it's because like, obviously we're, we're doing, you know, virtual doing zoom. I'm at home for you listeners. I'm in a dirty three day old shirt covered in cat <laughs> hair that says horror business. I'm wearing an adult diaper because I have norovirus and I can't stop shitting myself. I'm in old Navy leggings and three day old socks. But normally sometimes I'm slightly hotter ish. I am definitely not a 10, but I don't know if that makes it easier because people think I won't be like believed if I say someone has done something to me or been weird with me. I don't know. Or if they're into me secretly, there's a million ways that it could be. But one of my new things is I've seen like a huge uptick in the last year. I think it was COVID related. I think people were at home with their spouses and were losing their minds and they were already unhappy. So some male peers had taken it upon themselves to be really creepy in my DMs or physically at shows. So I started keeping a track record. Oh no. And it's called The Very Big Book of Very Bad Boys. And it has your <laughs> picture in it and screenshots. And every six months to a year, I'm like, hey, how you doing? You staying out of trouble? Because if you're not, you owe me money. <laughs> So I'm like pseudo blackmailing my peers into behaving. It's crazy, but it's fun. <laughs> so, and I check awesome. with other, my other, I check with other female peers. I'm like, so have you had any issues with this name? You good? Okay. What about this one? This one good? Oh no, this one was mean. This one was creepy. What do you do? Touched you? Ah, oh, those be another twenty. <laughs> so, <laughs> You're like the enforcer. I got to tell you, if God put me on earth for one thing, it's to be a huge piece of shit. And that's <laughs> that's what I'm here for. I'm doing gotta, the Lord's work. I got to wonder, though, like I'm listening to these stories and whatever, like uh, yeah. they're awful, but yeah. amazing. And oh. the amount of dedication that you're putting into this stuff, the amount of ambition you had when you're a kid. How do you not make it through high school and just say, we're just oh. like, fuck it. I'm done. Oh my God. That's so, no, that's so funny. I'm, I'm so glad you're bringing this back. You're totally right. Like that. I got so far away from like sort of the ending of that. So I did finish by the way. So uh, within that year of like the 16 to 17, I was so sick though. Like you're because with mania with bipolar, you're obviously writing very high. You tend to be incredibly creative. You're also not sleeping. And at one point I had like a a complete collapse of my mental faculties, which unfortunately has, you know, in some ways it's gotten worse as I've gotten older a little bit. It's just kind of evolved and changed. But at the time it just complete meltdown. Call my parents. It's like, I just want to come home. I'm sick. So I come home. I'm like, I think there's something super wrong with me. Go to a doctor. And they're like, yeah, like apparently we did not realize that we had to do some digging. Apparently I am genetically predisposed to it because it's apparently on my dad's side and no one on his family side has ever lived to an old age from it. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah. So we got me medicated and I really, for the most part, evened out a lot during that time. And I came to my senses and I was like, oh shit. I do need to finish like high school. Like that was a crazy thought, right? They're like, yeah, that was kind of a crazy thought. So I go back to my my high school into a private high school. And I said, you know, look, is there any way you would take me back for senior year? And what they did, and they said, you have to be able to pull this off. It's up to you. I had to do junior year work simultaneously alongside my senior year because they knew I could do it, but they're like, you have to actually complete it. So I had to do essentially two years of schoolwork my senior year so I could graduate on time like I was supposed to with my peers. Wow. 
So then I graduated in 2011, which is crazy. (laughs) And I went to community college for a little while that summer, I think, or no, through the fall, I, I had gone to school and then I got my first boyfriend and I saw my first penis. Ooh. And I didn't want to go back to school. <laughs> was it that was so fucking oh my no, I don't know what it was. Just like I was so like, I love penis. Like it was <laughs> so bad. And I can't and like when you here's what was going on. He was already out of school, he was a little bit older than me. I was so excited to be having sex for like the first time in my life that I got caught sneaking out of Spanish 201 on my hands and knees to go get railed at the Regal Cinema down the street. And the teacher was like, what are you, what are you doing? You know, I can see you, right? I was like, oh, I'm leaving. And she's like, are you coming back? And I was like, no. (laughs) And I left to go have young, hot, hot sex. Man, those were the days. What movie did you see? You know, I used to work at that theater. So, oh, okay. okay. Um, what movie did we see? I want. Oh, you know what? One I do remember. We we had sex. And like, we we saw this god awful movie called Winner's Bone with like Colin Farrell, and it's like this love story, but it's like time travel. It's fucking awful. But I totally gave it up that night. Oh my god, I'm so embarrassed. I've had so many. It was mostly the same boyfriend, pretty much. But I had so many sexual firsts to some of the worst movies. Like my first BJ was Jack Frost, but not the kids movie, <laughs> the horror movie about the killer snowman. I don't know if that's better or not. I don't know either. I mean, it feels less creepy that it's not a kids movie, but it's not a good movie to be having sex to. Right. Uh, I also got like my first fingering to the movie Chud. I've never heard of these. Oh, these are horror movies. I'm, I run a Chud? horror movie. Chud, I run a horror movie podcast. So that's another thing. So Chud is a uh, subhuman underground dwellers, something like that. My girlfriend is in the room and I know when I walk in there, she's she'll be be like, like, how do you not know Chud? Chud. Oh, that makes idiot. me so happy. Oh, God. she's huge into it. And I, Fuck I, yeah, I then- that's my biggest blind spot probably. Oh God, I already want to meet her, but yes. So, so, so I've had, and she, but then if you tell her the context though, of me getting railed for the first time, to some of these movies, you're like, Oh, she'd be like, Oh baby, why? Like, I also remember I got eaten out for the first time to poultry geist. It's about a zombie chicken from outer space. Oh, poultry. Oh, uh, poultry. Poultry. I was like, I was like, why'd you mispronounce that? That's a classic. Nope. Poultry. (laughs) And then after he was done, I did him and we watched Thanks Killing about a killer turkey. (laughs) I just, when people are like, I wonder why you're mentally ill. I'm like, "Mm, who knows? I don't oh, yeah. even know where to go after this. <laughs> no, I trust me. I I am a whirling dervish of insanity. I I don't know. I undo things easily on podcasts. They're like Ashley. We were having such a good time, and you made us all sad with your weird sexual experiences. And I'm like, I can't afford therapy. You guys are it. I'm like, man. How do I ask her? Were you a fan of The Simpsons? <laughs> like, I, I, <laughs> I did love the Simpsons, but I graduated college. I, no, I never graduated. I dropped out three separate times, kept trying to go back, couldn't make it work. But no, I, yeah, I, I finished high school. I became mildly successful in different fields, tried to do normal adult things. But, you know, you can take the girl out of the crazy, but you can't take the crazy out of the girl. It just keeps popping up. <laughs> so, okay. So 
when did you feel like, okay, I have to be on a stage. This is where I feel maybe my most sane, but just feel like, oh, I'm at home here. Well, you know, I, it's so funny. So the way I grew up, my parents raised me super evangelical. I was incredibly Christian my whole life up until probably like late high school, early college. (laughs) Well, well, so it's funny that that boy was also uh, a practicing Christian like myself at the time. We were obviously not doing the Lord's work, Um, (laughs) but it was after we broke up that I was just kind of like, oh, this all feels for me personally. It didn't make any sense. And now, like, what, 10 years later, I'm like a fucking Satanist. It's so funny. (laughs) Um, But so I was very super evangelical. And even though I was raised religious, I had very cool parents. I will say overall, very normal people. And something really special is I feel like my parents, at least my dad in particular, has a really good sense of humor. And that was something he always shared with me. And my parents would let me stay up and watch Saturday Night Live from a super young age like as as young as like like seven or eight and even if i didn't get it it just felt really special that i got to be with them watching this every you know saturday night really late and it just developed my sense of humor and you know i was very lucky to kind of have like experiences and touch people who were obviously doing much better in in television and movies unexpectedly like almost these feelings of like I guess, lucky being completely undeserved. They had no reason for having some of these encounters. And I guess one day it just kind of clicked with me that like people do those things for a living. You like these things, you enjoy these things, like working on that campaign for truthiness. And it was like, you know that like you can do those. You're about to be an adult. You can do the things you care about. And that one, I think it just kind of finally sunk in. And then I really started to enjoy it when I would go to Philadelphia And I would do open mics in Philly. And it was just the most fun thing was just hanging out with people feeling like there were there was a sense of community. But I remember I did this bit called Dairy Boy, which was because I got kicked out of a Target in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, for drunkenly (laughs) taking an Uber to the Target and hitting on the dairy attendant, stocking the <laughs> fridges, only to find out he was a minor. And I was like, ah! <laughs> and I ran off drunkenly singing about this boy. Um, so it turned into like this whole thing and people talked about it. And they were like, that was the wildest, most unhinged, hilarious thing I've ever seen. You should keep not doing that. <laughs> Maybe not don't hit on minors. You don't realize they're minors. Like maybe don't do that. But (laughs) what you're doing though, you are naturally funny, like as a person, but they were like, you're, you're good at writing. Like you're good at this. Keep doing it. And I think through just, you know, when people encourage you when they really mean it, that's why I know this is maybe messed up. People don't have to agree with me. I'm very anti giving fake compliments. So like whenever you're at a show and you're like, oh yeah, great set. Or like, whatever. If you truly don't mean it, you don't have to say it. You can still be like, treat each other well and like, you know, find something else to say. But if you don't mean it, don't say it. Because I think in the best way, and you don't need to be a dick either, but I'm big on a genuine compliment is something that can inspire someone to know whether they're doing a good job or not. I think it keeps people from false confidence, but it also strengthens better opportunities if it wasn't that great of a show to be like, I kind of, I don't need you to point it out to me, but I need to know that what I, 
what I'm interpreting from that show was accurate. So my friends might be like, maybe do this different next time or be like, excuse me, next time will be better. And that's fine. That's enough. Cause I already know I ate a dick up there, but I just, I can't do fake compliments because I think it, it lies to us about whether or not we're really hitting the mark. If that makes sense. No, I get it completely. And I'm, I fall into that category too, where it's like, it's kind of what you say. And also yeah. I, I host a show and I book them. So I'm like, right. Ah. What I'll I know do, what I'll do sometimes it's like if somebody didn't do well, I'm like, I don't always know what to say. Of course. So I stay on my side of the room. And because hundred percent, I know that if I have a poor set, I don't want anybody talking to me because you, I you wanna, already feel bad. Right. And I know what I, I might not know exactly why this happened, but I've been doing it long, right. only, only six years. But like, I'm like, right. oh no, I went in, I went too dark too quickly and right. I couldn't recover. Maybe right. that audience didn't understand that uh, my intent on this joke. Yeah. I have to do a better job of explaining it beforehand, but I don't want you to come over and say, Oh, great job. I'm like, I know I fucked up a hundred percent because when you know it, you also know they're full of shit. Yeah. But I've also seen, uh, I, uh, this is probably not nice to me, but I've also seen people, this drives me crazy when I've been at a show and I'll even be nice enough to say I've done shows where, yeah, there's something off the whole night and not a one of us does well. Like the audience just was not on board for yeah. whatever reason with a single performer. And there is something like, oh, camaraderie, like where you're like, oh, it was all of us. So you don't feel bad. But I've seen I've seen people on bad shows, whether it's their fault or not, be like, oh, crushed it last night or like murdered on their social media. Oh, no, and I'm like, I can't do that. I'm like, you did not. Do you have a perception or like I love when like people get like tepid laughs because Tell me if I'm wrong. You know, to each person, maybe it's kind of different. I get that. But you know when you kill. You know what a kill is. You know what that looks like. You know what that sounds like. But when people have a very tepid response to that from their audience, and then I see them be like, crushed it. And I'm like, "Mm, you did well. Like, you did well. I would not use the term crushing it. It's like when someone's texting and they're like, hilarious mm-hmm. <laughs> you're yeah. like that's not that's not what that is <laughs> whenever i see somebody write that on facebook and and they might have crushed they might have killed yeah i doubt it because i'm like no mm, to me it seems like just an extra pat on your own back that yes you know if you really did it you don't need to announce it 100 percent. well and i've had my other way like personally of dealing with it like i i've had like i will say the last week i've had some eh, shows i'm not sure if it's me it's been a few other factors. It definitely sucks though. When you've had, I would say the last five months I've had incredible shows. So it does kind of suck when you're feeling like you're hitting that inevitable eh, week. Yeah. I'm like, Oh my God, it's so painful. But I had great shows like a couple weeks back that were so good. Like for the first time really in, like ever in a long time, I legitimately had people that wanted pictures with me, which felt so nice and like great responses. So like that for me is like the peak of when you know you're doing a great job yep. and that, and that's my, my measure of like people wanting after to be like, I have to meet you or like, I have to, you know, and it's like, Oh my God, this is amazing. But when no one's clamoring to meet you, I'm like, I did not, I did not crush that. that no, was, you did well. I sneak out the door. Yeah. No. <laughs> I'm like, don't tell people you booked me. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite parts about producing the shows. Mm-hmm. is that I get to break down the equipment afterward and avoid 
all the people who are not clamoring to see me. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> I have like this, this act where I'm like, all right. And, and it's not that I do poorly, but I'm like, yeah, you didn't come to see me. You came to see the headliner. You came to right. see the three people after me. If I booked it well enough, yeah. you should forget about me to an extent. So agreed. I will go there and, and yeah, people might come back because, Hey, we believe Mike is a good host. We, we mm-hmm. think he's very funny. He's always got new material, right. whatever, but I am never going to be the star of my own show because that's just how I am. Like I want no, other people I think, to shine. I think you are hundred percent correct. Cause if you're going to run shows where, where, yeah, you have other comedians you're bringing on and you're not always headlining or whatever. I 100% agree with you because I do think sometimes there are comedians who I want to say, and we all go through this, so I understand the sentiment, and sometimes they're right. But there's this frustration of like, well, I'm not getting booked, so they start their own rooms or whatever, which again, I fully support. But they always have themselves on the lineup other than host, which again, it's their room, so I can't really, you know, whatever. But they will also, if they are hosting, they'll do like 15 minutes. And my opinion, my opinion is as a host, if you're the host, you should be kind of doing usually like the least amount of time because it's your job to get the show moving. And also, if it's not going well, you're the host. Get that shit on the road. I have seen people do this where they host and it doesn't go well and they just keep dragging it out. And I'm like, we haven't even started. (laughs) So my shows are typically four person shows. So I'll give myself Mm -hmm. 10 to 15 Mm -hmm. and the person after me gets 15 to 20. The person Mm -hmm. after them gets 20 to 25 and the headliner Mm -hmm. can do pretty much, you know, half hour, 40 minutes, whatever. Yeah. I mean, if you got an hour to work, go for it. And then I'll right. But I generally will budget differently in the time. Like if I right. know somebody's gonna do 45 minutes to an hour, mm-hmm. I'll give myself, you know, five to ten. A little less. Or, yeah, yeah. And I usually cut myself off first before anybody else. Right. And, which is the same reason I host the show, because mm-hmm. I think it's easier to book the show if you don't have to find a host. Oh, absolutely. And also, I'd like for if if you're coming up from Pennsylvania, I would like you to right. be highlighted more. Then right. Say, okay, well, you're going to take the hosting spot and conceivably, yeah. I mean, you're going to be on stage four times, but right. not doing material four times. So now I'll just do the dirty work and take pictures. And after yeah. so it's well, easier for me I, to do that. Well, I don't think enough comedians realize that like hosting when you're asked to host, like maybe for like when I think about my perspective, like for me, obviously more local shows, but I always tell people there's nothing wrong with, with being asked to host a show. Cause I always tell people it's a good quality to have to yeah. know how to host because it's a great spot. If you can fill in, you get to know more people, but it also shows you a flexibility to do it all because especially when you want to get booked at a big club, one of the first things they book you for is hosting. They're not just young comedians. If you are listening, you will never be offered most likely a feature or headlining spot when you are starting out and making your way through the ranks. You will not just automatically be given those things. You will start out as a host and then you'll move to feature and so on. But they have to know that you know how to host. You have to know how to move your show along, know how to get people's names right. But the other thing for me about hosting too, or sorry, not about just hosting, but what people I wish understood who are starting their own shows, I'd love to give this piece of advice. No matter how good your lineup is, and sometimes it is fucking fire. It's going to be an amazing show. The crowd's going to love you A to Z. 
But the number one thing I don't think people realize is there truly is such a thing as laughter fatigue. Yep. Where if your shows run too long, your audience is actually physically tired and mentally from laughing and trying to keep up with hearing the material and, and processing it and whatever. That after so much time, if you go beyond a certain point, no matter how funny people are, they mentally cannot keep up. Mm-hmm. And it's actually exhausting. So I've had people try to make shows go like two hours or longer. And I go, nope, audience will lose their fucking minds. They will actually be angry because they just can't laugh. <laughs> my my ceiling is usually an hour and 45. So, yeah. So I typically, I budget my shows to go between, I think it's 120 and 140. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like typically they're about an hour and a half because we're mm-hmm. going to start a little bit late. And then yeah. we're, we're probably, it's a two hour block. We're going to get right. two hours in You're like that block. Right. But I only book four person shows. I almost never right. get guest spots because of that yeah. situation. Because yep. even if you're doing five minutes or six minutes, mm-hmm. that makes the headliner, it, it just makes life more difficult at the end of the set. Yes. I, and like I said, it doesn't matter how funny you are, but if your yeah. show approaches two hours, it's dicey. People are just physically exhausted and then they cannot. And again, you know, even if it's a weekend, it's like people have been drinking if they got to yeah. drive home and whatever. It's just the night gets on and people start to feel a physical fatigue and they, they cannot keep up with you. But also even worse when a show is running long and it's not funny. It's like, no, people just feel like they're being tortured to death. So yeah. I'm always like, hey, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a nice, tight, you know, short, I don't say short, but you know what I mean? The shorter show, as long as you're hitting your marks and you brought a, a great lineup, people are going to love it because they're not going to feel cheated that like, oh, I, I paid 10 bucks and I only laughed for an hour and 15 minutes. No, they'll be super happy that for an hour and 15 minutes, they only paid 10 bucks for a great show. Right. <laughs> and from my, my business standpoint, it's like, if I can keep bringing different audience or different mm-hmm. comedians there, then I'm going to get those. I'm going to retain the audience. I'm like, Absolutely. Okay, cool. Because they can count on the comedians to be funny. And Absolutely. If it's a $5 or $20 show. It doesn't really matter because you're getting, in my opinion, as long as the budget holds up, you're getting the same quality. Absolutely. So the, and they're people, they're really funny people. I mean, you're, you're a part of like 19 scenes. There are people yeah. funny <laughs> everywhere. Oh, so everywhere. For anybody to put together a shit lineup is like, what are you doing? I mean, maybe it's well, a budgetary thing, but well, but this is oh. why I get really pissy though about the female comedy thing, which I am not one of those people that's going to be like, you know, and I don't try to get angry about ratio because, like, look, funny is funny. You book who is funny. Yep. I don't believe in like, you know, being the affirmative action female hire. No, but what troubles me, knowing there are actually, yes, there are generally less women than men in comedy, but. There's plenty of us out there in all kinds of scenes, again, who would travel just as much as I do. And when I see a lineup every week at a venue, which doesn't happen a lot, I will see a venue that books men. So they have four spot show every month. It is only four men. And I'm like, there's no way. And they don't even need to book me. But my point is, you can't tell me you don't know a single woman right. that is incredibly funny. Like we know women in, my, in the DMV and in Pennsylvania that are headliners, great features, guest spots, fine, make them a host. But I'm just like, you're telling me out of this, I I made a list about a month ago and shared it publicly of over 50 women in comedy in the DMV. And I'm like, you're telling me you can't book a single one of those? 
I just find it odd. That's my thing is I'm just like, there's funny people out there. There's funny women out there. There's funny people of color. There's LGBTQA people that are very, very funny. Again, I'm not big on like affirmative action hiring. It's just like, if you're funny, you're funny. And that's just how it is. But right. There are funny people out there from all works of life. People they're out there. <laughs> One thing I, I did before the pandemic, and it's, it's a little harder now just because in my scenes, like we've got about like six hubs up in mm-hmm. upstate New York, including mm. Pennsylvania too, but not all the comedians came back after the pandemic. Mm. Like we just lost yeah. some through attrition and a lot of them, yeah. a lot of those scenes don't even have mics still, which is yeah. beyond me. It's been a year. So it's hard. Like I haven't started doing my women's show again and I don't know if I will mm. because the pool is so low. Small. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's tough up in upstate New York, but yeah. Ro- Rochester, New York has a great scene. And yes, I've heard that in Buffalo. They've mm-hmm. got a lot of women up there. Unfortunately, I'm two and a half hours away. So yeah. it makes it tough. And again, that's understandable. Right. But what I do is I run shows around there. So I'm like, okay. I'm able to reach out and book them. But there are funny people there. They're funny. Oh, absolutely. You know it. I mean, women, they're one of my favorite parts about doing that women's show was the networking opportunities that created. Right. Because there are times when somebody in Rochester doesn't know that somebody in Scranton exists, but right. they can get on the same show. I'm like, oh my God. Do you know anybody else? Oh, there's somebody. There's Audrey Marsh from the Philly area. Oh, yeah. She's Get super her. funny. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. And like, but I know her through, and I saw her at a show in Scranton. Yeah. I booked her up in Binghamton. So I know mm-hmm. her. And you just have to find them, you know? Oh, absolutely. Well, and there's, and there's also something to be said, too, which I think this is a, a fair strategy, which, you know, you can obviously try. You could see what happens. But I always like to tell people, too, if you know your area is struggling to find certain demographics of performers. Like the, just the area isn't there. They're not coming to that area. They're no longer existing in that area. And, you know, look, you know what budget you're working with. There's nothing wrong with ever saying to people too, you know, hey, I, I know you're a bit farther away. This is the budget I'm working with, what yeah. I can pay. But I am struggling to find female or, or people of color or whatever the, the, the demographic is you're yeah. looking for. I'm struggling to find performers in those demographics. And I think what they need to be seen and, you know, would you be willing for the budget I can offer? You know, because look, we, we don't have enough of this performer in our area and I think we need it. And you might be surprised if someone's like, you know what being and like for me being a female performer, I'm like, you know what other women need to see women in comedy. Cause I can yeah. tell you that I did a show recently and I don't get this a lot, but it just, it, it was important to me. I had a woman come up to me after a show recently where she was like, I watch women on Netflix, like Ali Wong or whatever, mm-hmm. but she's like, I've never seen like an in-person female comedian before. And she's like, this was really, really good. And I loved it. And I was like, Oh, thank you. But just to realize that like, there are some areas where people are like, yeah, I've never seen a woman perform comedy. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, I guess that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's strange, but like there are times where I've been doing comedy in this area for six years mm-hmm. and I still get people who say, I didn't know there was comedy here. And I'm like, what the <sighs> hell yeah. else do I have to do? It's crazy. Marketing is a nightmare. Trying yeah. to get the word out is awful. <laughs> do you remember the worst show you've ever had? The worst set? Man, I've had some real shit, shit shows. There's definitely like a, a hall of fame, but this one, I think I'm going to tell you is so memorable because of just the audacity of it. Oh, my cat peeked his head in. I'm like, you better not take a shit right now. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) He just just saw his little head. He's like, never mind. I would say probably the worst show I ever did was in Silver Spring, Maryland. Love Silver Spring. Oh, man. This is such a... (laughs) 
<laughs> this is such a layered moment. I saw, so, I saw a hawk eating a squirrel in Silver Spring. Silver Spring presents itself like it is a highfalutin place. Oh, I know, I know. And yet God has forsaken it a long time ago. Like <laughs> it is a wasteland of terror. So <laughs> I was asked to do this show and I never really worked with this. I think I might've worked with them once before and it was like, eh, but I thought a fluke, whatever. So then they come back to me because they're very nice. And they're like, hey, I have another show for you in Silver Spring. Do you want it? And I go, okay, cool. And I think if I remember correctly, I thought I was being paid or maybe I wasn't, but I was stupid and I wanted I wanted showtime. So I knew it wasn't much, if anything. And they gave me an address, but there was no name of a venue or anything. And I didn't really take the time until like I put it into my GPS to like look up what it was. So I put it in the GPS and I show up and I'm like, you got to be shitting me. It was a pizza parlor called Crazy Steve's with a K. Of course it was. Of course. Oh, it gets so much worse. So I'm like, okay, great. So I walk in and I know you obviously don't really know me personally or necessarily like know me, but I I get labeled as like a very blue or like 21 and over comedian because like, well, it's just just so funny to me when I get labeled that way because I'm like, men talk about the same shit I do. It's just coming out of a pussy. But so I get labeled that way, which is fine, whatever. I am what I am. There are children everywhere <laughs> in this pizza shop and i'm like that's that's not good and 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 again this guy knows my routine he knows me <laughs> like there should be no question about how i operate so i'm noticing that i'm already not enjoying what i'm seeing i can't find him anywhere and i go hey does anyone know where blank is and they go oh yeah and they point and i stomp up to the counter I'm like, are you shitting me? Are we having the show here because you couldn't get off work? He's working behind the counter. The booker is working behind the counter to oh taking orders. I'm like, are we having a show here because you couldn't get off work? He's like, no. <laughs> and I'm like, mm, okay. So I am like trying not to lose my shit. I'm trying to keep it together. Other comedians start walking in and we're all looking at each other like this is bad there is no stage of any kind i don't even know i don't even remember off the top of my head if there was a mic or anything like it was awful truly awful so i thankfully was not first but it is just going downhill from comedian one just people are leaving like because i don't think these people are prepared for a comedy show right they have no idea this is happening to them so i get up there and i'm like who wants to talk about pussy (laughs) <laughs> and you just see these flood of children. And I'm like, okay, well, now that the kids left, I do my normal routine. I'm hanging in there the best I can, knowing this is an absolute garbage situation. After I'm done and I'm just fully flustered and just internally filled with hate, a man I do not know comes up to me, puts a 20 in my bra. And goes, I am so sorry you have to be here. And left. <laughs> That's, I think, awesome. I want to say awesome. I mean, I got paid more than I think the other comedians did. So I guess I win. Oh but I, I was like, never again. I will tell you off recording who this person is just for your own fun and benefit to look up. They run so many businesses, it turns out, that like I call them the con man of comedy because they have like a sex dungeon, a tattoo parlor. They have a limo service. They own so many businesses 
that I'm pretty sure that like comedy is just a front so they don't get busted by the government. <laughs> That's crazy. I I would say this is probably the worst. <laughs> man, I, you know, I lived there for so long, not Silver Spring. Yeah. I had a buddy who does, he still lives in Silver Spring, I believe. Okay. But I know the area okay, but I started doing comedy after I moved out of Maryland. Okay. And I hear these stories. I'm like, why didn't I start earlier? Like there are characters I just want to meet. Oh man. This one, every now and again, he'll text me and be like, you want to do a show? And I just don't. (laughs) Cause I'm like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I feel like I'll get stabbed with a kebab or something. Next time I go to one of his shows, (laughs) be like, Oh, are we having falafel at this one? Like I can't. I, look, I love comedy and there is an element to it, right? That's like fun. There is yeah. a story out of it, right? You get a story yeah. out of a crazy situation. But if I could have the self-respect to remove myself from comedy, I would, but I don't have it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I usually end this podcast by saying, what are you working on? <laughs> are you working on getting out of comedy? <laughs> no, not right now. I, I, I won't lie. There are days when I hate it. And the grind of yeah. it is just, it's just too much. And it's, it's a little bit of a heartbreak. You, sometimes you find yourself jealous of your peers when things oh, yeah. aren't going yeah. away. It, it, it's all very painful and, and difficult, but um, no, th- things have been good. I, um, I do have a show June 4th coming up in like the DMV area. That's always cool. You know, I've got a, I've got a podcast with uh, my comedy partner, Eric Woodworth um, and his brother. So it's called quality time. And every week we just break down a shitty horror movie and we get real fucked up and talk about it, which is always real joy. We've been doing that. Uh, He started that before I I joined. Um, He's probably been doing it five years, but I joined uh, during the pandemic. So that's been like a really cool thing we've been doing together for the last couple of years. You know, I'm just I'm starting to headline a bit more, which is nice. Do a lot of feature work. So really, that's you know, that's just kind of where it is. Is trying to get my name out more, trying to go to new cities, new places. Now that the world's opening back up a bit, so it seems like you're doing that. I mean, have you gone back to Australia since like you got heavily into stand up? Well, no, I um I moved to Australia for a boy. Oh, okay. And it went bad okay. <laughs> for you or him. Like, well, did, he, did he break up with you nicely? No, he cheated on me. Um, all right. I stole a bunch of his stuff and <laughs> put it in my suitcase, um, which was pretty funny. And I did do the the toothbrush thing. I did. Awesome. Well, not in my butt. I did clean his toilet with his toothbrush. That was pretty funny. But no, I, I love Australia. It's just it's super expensive to go. Yeah, it's crazy, stupid, expensive, especially this year, by the way, anybody who's going to be touring or flying this summer, be aware as of now, prices have pretty much doubled on flights. So good luck. But you don't so, no, wear I mean, a mask. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where like, if I ever got asked back, yeah. you know, for the right job, of course I would go, but you know, it's so expensive. I wouldn't be really paid enough to make it worth it. I also just... Uh, it's been a while, but I won't lie. I'm a bitter woman. I'm still a little bit raw about it. <laughs> no, no, I'm the same way. There are places yeah. in Binghamton where I won't go just in case I run into, you know, there's a restaurant called Nurchies in, and okay. it's famous. It's got great pizza. It's all over. There. There's like five restaurants mm-hmm. around there. I dated a Nurchie for four years and I didn't go back to a Nurchies to get pizza for probably a decade. <laughs> So everybody's like, oh, have you gone to Nurchies? Like, nope, won't support it. And it's like, it's I not did. even her direct family. But I'm like, no, like her family has a, a funeral home 
And if I die, I don't want to be buried <laughs> with them. Like I get I'll hold that. On to that grudge. Oh, again, full su- full support. I stabbed somebody in Australia because they put on uh sorry, because I know that must be very triggering for <laughs> it's you. Okay, it's okay. But somebody put on what makes you beautiful by the fucking one direction. <laughs> and I had just been broken up with by a boy band performer, a, a guy in a boy band. And I was so bitter that like the guy who put it on was sitting next to me. And I was like, fuck. And I still put my knife down for my meal and I stabbed him right in the hand. I was like, you changed that fucking song. <laughs> He's like, yeah, she's normal. May I ask you a personal question? Sure. Why isn't your life an HBO series? <laughs> I would pay a subscription service to watch all of these stories unfold. You know, it's fun on the surface, right? Because that's <laughs> that's the thing. It's like it's fun when you're not the one who's in my line of sight. Yeah. It's, it's, and that's the other fun thing about dating me. At first, you're like, you are so fun. You're funny. You're wild. <laughs> and then it goes bad. And then you're like, I need a restraining order from this big <laughs> five foot zero bitch because I'm going to die. And they're like, oh, did she poison you? Did she physically threaten you? But like, I don't know, but I've been sick for weeks with like <laughs> pink eye and diarrhea. And I'm thinking it's her fault. <laughs> so. Do you ever watch Law and Order SVU? Oh my God, yes. You got to stop. <laughs> like, I, I feel like you're getting all of your ideas from the I, cases they're covering. No, you know where I get any good ideas when I'm not sure? It's TikTok and Reddit. You got to go oh, to like yeah. the bitter woman section and you're like, how did you get even? And then you read through and you're like, oh, that's a good idea. And then like sometimes <laughs> I contribute and then we all share. We're like, Tee! like, guys, just so you're aware, when your girl goes to brunch, they're all talking shit about you and they're all sharing ideas about if you do them dirty, what they're going to do to you. That's the, all we do at brunch. The only fear guys have is, are they talking about how small my dick is? We never think, are they planning on killing us eventually? I never complain about a guy's dick size or even bring it up unless he's done me dirty. And it's legitimately small. Like, I never call a guy's dick small if it isn't small. I've had guys that I hate. I've had guys in comedy that are fucking douchebags. And I'm like, you know what? He's a fucking piece of shit. And I hope he burns in hell. But I'm also like, massive penis. (laughs) Fucking huge. Thought I was going to die. Like, huge dick. But no, I only talk about a small dick if you did me dirty. And I'm like, it was the saddest thing. It was like a Vienna sausage. It was so sad. (laughs) So basically, the moral of this whole lesson is treat women well. Be nice and we won't talk shit. Like, no, girls love to talk about how like good dick is. We love to talk about good dick. Like when we're happy in relationships, I'm telling you right now, your girl brunch days when she's not here with you and she's back in Delaware, she probably talks about how much she loves you, how much she loves your dick, how much she loves your cats. But anytime you're mean, she's like, every time he's mean to me, I'm going to snip at his balls when he's asleep. Just take the trimmer and just give you... (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, ah, I think I nicked my balls. You're like, oh, you should be more careful with that. <laughs> there's a there's a show. Oh, Scrubs. You ever watch Scrubs? Oh, I love Scrubs. Yes, there's love a, it. <laughs> where Dr. Cox, his wife Jordan, like, yes, he got like a band aid. He goes, I don't know, like there's something happened when I was asleep. I just I cut myself. And she's like, yeah, I. She's like, she cut him because she yeah. gets real close. I'm like, you're gonna kill him now. But yeah. No. Yeah. 
I am that behavior. I am so unhinged, especially with my comedy partner, Eric. He gets on my nerves fairly frequently to the point that like there are days when he'll be like, hey, and he'll sign on. Be like, how are you? And I'm like, I hope you fucking die. And he's like, oh, you're having one of those days. (laughs) And then like an hour later, I'm like, sorry, I was a bitch. And he's like, yeah, you seem like you're feeling better. You have something to eat? A little less mean. And I'm like, I'm sorry. So I don't, I mean, I don't blame the bipolar, but it's definitely the bipolar. But it's a nice card to play. It's, you know what? I'm lucky to have people that tolerate me that are like, I love you, you little terrifying psycho. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it has been an absolute blast talking to you. And as well. uh, And I'm not just saying that. Uh, I will be telling everybody else how awesome you are just in case I get on your bad side at one time. You're going (laughs) to. No, I've got a bunch of good, good memories about this guy. Uh, give him, a, you know, cut him some slack. Well, and I'm not in your area, so I'd really have to struggle. I'd have to literally send you a box of my poo to get any sort of revenge. <laughs> I'm very lonely, so I'll open it. No questions asked. So I'll send you my address later. And perfect. And we'll make it official. But thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely, my pleasure. With, best luck with everything you do and every guy you date. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you for having me on. This has been wonderful. It's always great to meet other people in comedy and, and new people in comedy to me. This is always nice. Oh, it's my pleasure. But oh, cool. I'll talk to you in a bit. All right. Sounds good. Peeling back my sunburned skin. I'll wait outside your bedroom. I hope they let me in.